good segue. There was some discussion um, about this in the last session a little bit, too, uh, which helps us out. And Roni's going to take over uh, about this newly diagnosed Crohn's disease, surgery or biologics. Thank you, Dr. Cohen. So we'll present a couple of cases. Um, so this is the first guy, case. This a 29-year-old African-American female that, as of the second half of 2017, began having symptoms of abdominal pain and diarrhea. Her past medical history is positive for asthma, which is not treated currently. She does not smoke and does not have any family history of inflammatory bowel disease, and she went through cholecystectomy a few years ago. So, of course, as a gastroenterologist, the first step in the investigation is colonoscopy. And there were several findings uh, in her procedure. One is in the ileum, there, were, there was an ulcerated area of 15 centimeters, just proximal to the ileocecal valve. In pathology, there was severe active chronic inflammation there with no gonadomas. In the cecum, in the ascending colon, there was mild endoscopic inflammation, while in pathology, there was moderate chronic active colitis, and the rest of the colon was normal endoscopically and pathologically. Uh, her gastroenterologist wanted to put her on infliximab as a first-line therapy, but while waiting for the insurance approval, she was put on oral prednisone in order to control the symptoms, which helped at first, and her diarrhea got better. However, uh, her abdominal pain went worse, and eventually, at January 2018, she appeared in the emergency department with severe abdominal pain. And she described that these symptoms of abdominal pain were getting worse and worse during the past few weeks uh, before that time. Uh, she did not have any fever or chills, and she did lose uh, quite a lot of weight in the past two months since her diagnosis. Uh, considering all her symptoms, uh, she had some labs with uh, leukocytosis and significant anemia with thrombocytosis. Her albumin was mildly low with 3.2, and her CRP was up to 97. Uh, she went through uh, axial imaging with CT at the emergency department, and in that um, procedure, they saw an extensive wall thickening and increased enhancement in volume in the cecum, the terminal ileum, and a long segment of the distal ileum. Uh, which in that scenario was consistent with active Crohn's disease. And the findings were compatible with at least suspected phlegmonous um, area involving the distal ileum, the terminal ileum, and the cecum. Um, so the patients were admitted to the hospital, and the medical treatment was begun with IV antibiotics, IV steroids, and we also consulted the surgical team. At first discussion, the patient said that she does not want any type of surgery for her, uh, but still comes the question, what should be the next step in the management? Okay, so this is an interactive uh, uh, session just to get people uh, up on their toes. So again, you have a bio-naive patient who has Crohn's, the ileum and right colon, and uh, getting worse on steroids with um, a phlegmon, no true abscess, nothing drainable, I mean, and, and is actually refusing surgery. I mean, uh, is this someone who um, people would be, be able to treat with a medical therapy? And would anyone offer her a medical approach to her? 
Yes, no, there's that. Who thinks that she absolutely would require surgery? And she doesn't have an abscess. She just has the inflammation of phlegmon. Who thinks that she might need surgery? <laughs> okay. Who thinks that she does not need surgery? Okay. So then, uh, so the, a lot of times the approach to these patients um, uh, is uh, one that works through gradual stages of first treating and stabilizing them uh, and then uh, following them up sometimes clinically, also uh, radiographically as well, to see if you're going to go the non-surgical route, uh, if your uh, interventions are helpful. So it's debatable about giving the patients corticosteroids when they have um, these, ch- these changes. Some would argue that she got the steroids um, and may have worsened uh, her situation. Often uh, patients who have penetrating Crohn's disease, we find it important to... Um, to give them antibiotics uh, intravenous initially and then orally throughout the acute time. But even if you're going to avoid surgery while you're starting them on uh, whatever uh, therapies you might, um, the, the reason being that it is penetrating disease, there's obviously going to be sepsis into the soft tissue area there. Um, and uh, those may need to be continued for a long period of time. I think one of the mistakes that many people make is that they presume patients are on antibiotics for a week or two, but in reality, this is, might be a long, long-term haul with them. Would anybody in this situation start the patient on an agent like infliximab, the phlegmon, one, two, three, four, five? Would anybody say no, they would not start, start the person on infliximab? No one's raising, no one's raising their hand. Would there be any other therapies that you would be starting instead of infliximab? Adalimumab, betalizumab. So balrosinab antibiotics and then starting a TNF agent. What about giving a slow-acting immunosuppressant, azathioprine 6-MP or methotrexate, leading them through? Um, following the patient, if you would, we talked about potentially getting another scan. I mean, let's say you start them on antibiotics and balrest. Would you... Do that for bowel rest, meaning complete bowel rest, or bowel rest um, with TPN? TPN, re-image them in a few weeks, and then see, right, to, to get them through. Because the priest people are really on the precipice of going to surgery. Um, there are certain characteristics that might lead you towards surgery versus not. One of them might be the patient's history. Have they had previous surgeries before? Are they someone who's already... Um, you know, facing a short bowel if they have yet another surgery? Have they been experienced with the different agents? Is this someone who's kind of burned through things or someone who really hasn't been tried on things too? Um, uh, knowing uh, what your possibilities are ahead of time uh, may be off, often very helpful in these patients. And also, uh, the patient needs to be educated more too about, about the risks of the surgery, but also of not doing surgery. I mean, what, what is the, um, the biggest fear that our patients have? With Crohn's disease, ostomy exactly. So ileostomy is the biggest fear. So one of the things um, that I also find very helpful is keeping that in mind. Is um, approaching the patient with saying, "Well, you might you you might need surgery. You may you will need surgery. You might need surgery. But if you do need surgery." Um, would you, would, you, would you not want us to do this in a way that would minimize your chance for an ostomy? 
And obviously, everyone says yes. And this is sometimes how you draw the patient back into this situation where they, if they don't want to be on a medicine you think they should be on or don't want to go to surgery, um, not to say holding a fear of an ostomy over, but in reality, because it's, you're not making it up, you really want to optimize the patient perhaps with nutrition, if they're very nutritionally depleted, um, the antibiotics, if they did have something drainable to drain, and then allow for the best possible uh, chance for having a primary anastomosis. So what happened with this patient, Ronnie? Okay. So at first, as I said, she was treated medically, and eventually she was, she was having some clinical improvement, and, but... During the next few days, she was having more and more abdominal pain, and eventually, since these symptoms were not resolving, she was the one eventually um, agreeing for the surgery and, and also asking for that in order to proceed. Uh, so she went through ileocecectomy at the fifth day of admission, and she's recovering well. She was not put on anything just the next few days after the, uh, the surgical procedure, but the plan is to proceed with infliximab as post-op prevention. So why would you put, give her any post-op prevention? So when we come to decide about post-op prevention, we have to look at, at uh, the risk factors of the patients. And one would say that she does not have a lot of risk factors because she, um, she does not smoke and she did not have a stricturing disease. But on the other side, she does have some risk factors, which is um, IV steroids just at presentation and also stricturing disease, which might be also a risk factor. Penetrating. So penetrating. Pen penetrating. Penetrating, sorry. Yes. Okay. So because of these two risk factors. Okay. Um, so moving on with the second, with the second case. Uh, so this is a 26-year-old uh, white male. Oh, yeah. you have a question? No, it no. was only after, in order, just as post-opophylaxis. In the acute admission, she did not get infliximab. So the question is, well, should we have given her infliximab? We actually did not feel that uh, it would be wise to give her infliximab. One of the things is I always said to the patients, if you're wondering if your patient has an abscess or not, give them infliximab because you'll find out afterwards. So as, as you may know, many of these patients who just have um, uh, phlegmon or not a true abscess, senine CAT scan, when they go for resection, the surgeon finds sometimes multiple abscesses or in the, patholo in the, in the histolo or the pathologic section, the gross section, the pathologist just describes that. Generally, I, I think this, her case was kind of an easy one because she had not had surgery before. She really hadn't even been through therapies. She had this mess in her right lower quadrant. I mean, the, you know, the, the risk of getting her, making her worse and then leaving her with almost a definite ileostomy um, from giving her an agent like infliximab was, was, was not acceptable because that was, if you talk to these patients, uh, while they don't want surgery, they really don't want an, an ileostomy. And I think giving her something that would increase that chance would, wouldn't make sense. But that's part of the reason for this session, like what, like what, what tips you. So let's go on this yeah. case, and then we'll go back and discuss them. And also right. she was young. It had low risk for the surgery itself. No right. medical issues. Wait, there's so, another question? Yeah. So, so the whole point is that patients who the, some surgeons are saying they don't want to touch these patients for a while because they're on steroids. I've seen people say that too. They want them to be off steroids for a few months, 
Um, but, but that's not at all realistic. You have a sick patient who's in the hospital who has inflammation, who's failing therapy. You put, we put her on antibiotics. We gave her fluids, uh, and she started getting worse. Um, in, in, in reality, uh, you know, they're, they're taking a scenario that's like textbook scenario of, oh, no, don't do surgery on someone who's on steroids and not really applying it to the real world. No, they, they, I've seen this mistake maybe before. They have to go to surgery. Um, now, typically when they are very inflamed or they, they, they might be better served by a temporary ileostomy um, to let things, uh, you know, let the, if they do an anastomosis, let that heal and then take that down. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's let's go on to the next case, and we'll come back to that. Okay. So moving on. So a 26-year-old white male uh, that, as of end of 2017, began having recurrent abdominal pains, some subjective fever which was not measured, uh, poor appetite, fatigue, and watery diarrhea, and uh, no bloating, no abdominal distension, uh, and no nausea or vomiting. His weight was stable. Uh, his past medical history was unremarkable. He doesn't have any family history of IBD, and he does not smoke as well. Um, you can see his labs here, and we see that the CBC is more or less normal. His albumin is normal, and his CRP is, in, is increased up to 32. And he as well went through colonoscopy that showed normal colon endoscopically and pathologically, uh, however, the ileocecal valve was ulcerated and strictured, and the TI could not be uh, intubated or um, examined endoscopically. However, biopsies could be taken through the stricture uh, ileocecal valve, and the bio biopsy from there showed chronic inflammation with an ulcer which was nonspecific. Um, during the acute presentation, the patient also went through a... Um, Axial imaging with MR enterography at his case, uh, which showed long segment of bowel thickening and hyperenhancement, compatible with active inflammation. Uh, when the part of his uh, distal ileum was about 35 centimeters in length, there was a focal narrowing with dilatation in the prox of the proximal bowel indicating a stricture. Uh, so to conclude, we have a patient with somewhat possible obstructive symptoms uh, with colonoscopy and imaging that suggests a stricture in the terminal ileum. Um, the paste, obviously, there is a long segment of small bowel uh, inflammation, and the patient is treatment naive. Okay, so this is a different scenario. 35 centimeters of bowel, you see the ileocecal valve is strictured, not completely closed. You can't get the scope through, but you can biopsy it. The scanning does show some proximal dilation, but you know that it is not completely blocked up there. So this is a little different scenario than with the first one. So this is a patient, again, never had surgery. Was, who, would, who would think that they would, you'd want to send the patient to surgery now? Okay, one, two, three. How many people say they would try a bio, biologic therapy one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many people said they would do an immune suppressant, not a biologic therapy? Okay. So one of the th our thoughts in this patient, um, as we've seen in many, is that uh, patients coming in with not ad without adequate um, control, they often have a lot of bowel involved um, on the scan, uh, that, and sometimes with innocent loops of other bowel overlapping or nearby, 
And uh, in the absence of a true abscess or phlegmon, et cetera, too, we actually would be more interested in trying to bring down the inflammation. This way, if there is, we know there's a stricture near the valve, but uh, not that severe. If there is need, of, uh, need for surgery for a stricture and disease, perhaps less of the innocent bowel can be, can be sacrificed. So we have the, we have the, um, uh, uh, quality, we have the availability now, a uh, little of uh, time, that we can perhaps put a person on a medical therapy to bring down the active inflammation and then reassess. Um, again, uh, sometimes you'll see a lot of bowel loops that are involved, particularly those brought in uh, innocently, if you will. Um, as you know, Crohn's is a recurrent disease. We're trying to limit the amount of bowel that comes out with, with each resection. And as we mentioned, he's, he's treatment, treatment naive. Uh, any pay, anyone, so you guys mentioned everyone who said they would do medical therapy, raise their hands for biologic, no one for immune suppressants. So this is Crohn's disease. Um, yeah. Oh, that's your, oh, uh, so, um, anti-TNF biologic. So the, the small bowel does have some proximal dilation, which is suggestive, obviously, that there is narrowing. We've actually seen it on the scope. So this patient may subsequently require surgery. You're right. But well, like I said, try to bring down the inflammation. So if, let, me say, let me throw you three options. You're going to control the inflammation with anti-TNF. The second option is with vetalizumab. The third option is usikinumab. Okay, so I want everyone to vote. You're going to vote and vote only once. This is your opportunity. 35 centimeters of inflamed bowel, mild, mild, mild obstruction, treatment naive patient. Okay, so you're going to raise your hand for either TNF or vetalizumab or usikinumab. So everyone get your hands ready. Those are your options. So how many of you would do anti-TNF? Okay, I'd say about two-thirds of people. How many would do vetalizumab? Nobody. How many do usikinumab? Perhaps oh, a few people listed that too. Okay, so... Roni, what do we do? So, uh, as the majority here voted, we went with a combination therapy of infliximab and immunosuppressant, which in this case, in this case was methotrexate was the drug that we chose. Uh, and he was having rapid clinical improvement with his pain, with diarrhea, and the weakness. And for now, because of the significant improvement, the plan for surgery or the plan to consider surgery was postponed. With, and the future plan for him is to have him image again in six months and then decide about the permanent uh, situation. And the last scenario that we wanted to discuss, not with a case, just a brief presentation of, of, of the study regarding that, is that patients that, we, that have only inflammation in the terminal alum without any uh, stricturing or penetrating behavior. In, in, those, in this group of patients, we, almost all of us, give only medical therapy and do not even consider surgical uh, management. However, uh, this was studied in a recent study that was published in, in the Lancet Gastroenterology when they took Crohn's patient with terminal ileum alone with no stricturing or penetrating disease, which were biologic naive, and randomized them into either anti-TNF or surgery, which was ileosecectomy, with the primary outcome that they chose was quality of life. And looking at the results after uh, one year after treatment, um, we see that 
uh, IBDQ and SF36, which is another quality of life measurement, were about the same between the, those two groups, the ones that were treated with infliximab or the ones that were treated with ileosecectomy. And looking further, and I think that most interesting is the second part here, looking long-term after about one year after treatment with infliximab, at least one-third of the patients went through ileosecectomy either way, uh, while the patient that went through surgery uh, after two years after their surgery, uh, about quarter of the only quarter of the patients uh, needed anti-TNF treatment. And... With that, we conclude just. So what's, what's, your, what's your summary from the Lyric study? So I'm not sure that I'm convinced that at this point um, I would recommend a young patient with isolated terminal island disease with no complications and not uh, in penetrating or stricturing disease um, to go through directly surgery. But if it sometimes, and we know that some patients point that they then do not want any medical therapy, they do not want definitely not long-term therapy, and they ask about other options. And maybe to point that there is this other option that might be beneficiary for them is something that we can bear in mind. So, repeat the question. Okay, so the question was if there are other considerations, like if this is an older patient or a patient that travels a lot and is at risk for infectious complications due to the medical therapy. So, yes, definitely these are two parameters that also in the study they related to that. Um, so the problem is sometimes those patients are more prone to complications from surgery, like that older patient or maybe someone which will not be, which is traveling a lot and will not be under the appropriate surveillance. So choosing that, part, that, choosing that choice might put them in danger as well from that perspective. Okay, terrific.